0: You know, if you would have asked me at 9.45 local, I would have been pretty down. But now I'm pretty much convinced he's the next Pat Mahomes. Um, I think we established that on an earlier podcast. And that it's really, really, when you're talking about NFL quarterbacks, you should be talking about uh, Mahomes and Wilson and then get into everyone else.
1: there welcome to hot takedown the show where the hot takes of the sports world meet the numbers that prove them right or tear them down today is october 5th 2021 and i'm sarah ziegler the sports editor at 538 joining us from new york is senior sports writer neil payne hi neil
2: hey sarah how's it going
1: (laughs) not bad how are you
2: oh i'm doing good you know just uh settling in for another week of talking about uh football but then also some baseball so i'm excited (laughs)
1: i know this time of year is just wild so many things happening i love it
2: is october the best sports month sarah do you think
1: i mean it has to be right all of the literally everything happening every sport going on Well,
2: march is up there though like end of march early april
1: yeah yeah march and yeah it's like the the changing of the seasons always gives us the, the most of the sports seasons i love it uh, from Los Angeles is five thirty eight contributor Jeff Foster. Hi, Jeff. Hello, Sarah. Yes, Neil. I know you started
0: that conversation before I was introduced, so I hesitate to weigh in. I want you to weigh, to weigh in, in, though. But, I want you to weigh in. I, I, I will weigh in, and October is the best sports month. Fact.
2: <laughs> Undeniable. Statistically <laughs> proven by Jeff's brain.
1: Definitively. Well, so we uh, our uh, our survivor pool stands. Uh, Sarah and Jeff at three, Neil at two. But Neil, you get the first pick this week, so that's something. I don't know. I honestly don't even know if that helps at this point. It feels like it's just more pressure. Uh, so the pick order is Neil, Sarah, Jeff. Neil, who will you pick?
2: Yeah, uh, so I'm going to take a pick that I think both of you guys are going to like because I haven't taken them yet, and I don't think anyone's taken them yet, but I'm going to go with the Minnesota Vikings at home against the Detroit Lions uh, and Jared Goff. Uh, I I just like the Vikings— Look, I know you don't like to talk about them. I know our listeners don't like it when we yeah, talk about I'm, them. I'm
0: actually not allowed to talk about them. I think that
2: Yeah, right. Jeff yes. is Jeff is contractually not able to talk about them right now, but they continue to be interesting i'm not saying they're good but they've been in more games than we would expect based on their one and three record uh and cousins has played better than you would expect based on that record and detroit like i don't know man i mean detroit made justin fields look a lot better than he did in his in his debut uh so i'm I'm counting on the same energy this week
1: uh this feels like a trap game for them like like the (laughs) the vikings yes
2: um how can you have a trap game when you're 1 and 3?
1: Well, because it'll it, because the Lions are worse, right? We know that. We assume, we think that. But uh I think they will like I they tend to play to the the level of competition and then lose. Um so good luck with that. I you know, I wish you well. I I uh <laughs> I'll be rooting for the Vikings, but that doesn't seem to do much good. Um okay. I I am um... I was you know honestly I did have the the Vikings as a potential pick there I don't think I could have pulled the trigger but it did I mean I think that's a good pick um I think I'm gonna go with um I'm gonna go with the Patriots it they're on they're on the road but they're playing the Texans and I feel like that's a Decent. They looked better. They looked fine against the Bucks, right? I'm going to go with the Patriots. We'll I see. think that's yeah, They looked good in that I game to,
2: to the very end. You have
0: um, Belichick going against a rookie quarterback, which yeah. is proven to work, and you have Belichick off a loss, which generally seems to work too. So,
2: and you have Davis Mills for the Texans, who is just awful.
1: Seems to be playing for the other team right now, yeah. So
2: is he? He's like the new Nathan Peterman. I feel like
0: Nathan oh, Peterman's that's... still in the league, by the yeah, way. He's, uh, so he's not yeah, he's Nathan Peterman's quality backup. Nathan Peterman's the new Nathan Peterman. Um, that made no sense. <laughs> I'm going to take the. I, I don't know what what is happening in this little game of ours. I, you guys keep leaving me with the very obvious play, so I'm going to take the the Bucks over the Dolphins. No I was saving, on the that?
2: I'm I'm saving, the saving the I'm not saving anyone. <laughs>
1: I, I'm not saving, I'm saving anyone. Them too. You don't
0: know what you don't know what injuries are going to happen. You you strike while the iron's hot here, Neil.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, we will see how uh, how the, those picks go in this uh, very long, very long game. It's a it's a it's a you know we're, we we have to see the big picture. It's a marathon, not a sprint. On today's show, we'll talk about the MLB playoff picture after a truly wild finish to the wild card race. Then we'll revisit the ups and downs of college football and discuss Cincinnati's odds to make the playoffs after toppling Notre Dame. And finally, we'll take a deep dive into data with our rabbit hole of the week. The MLB postseason is set. We had a legitimately thrilling conclusion to the regular season with the Yankees and Red Sox winning wildcard spots in the American League over the Blue Jays and the Mariners. Meanwhile, in the National League, the 106-win Dodgers will face the Cardinals for the privilege of turning right around and playing the 107-win Giants. There is a ton to look forward to with these playoffs, but on the Baseball Tonight podcast, Tim Kirkjian talked about what made the last day of the Wild wildcard race so special.
2: The point is, watching those games simultaneously in the green room, it was just fantastic. Every pitch mattered. You couldn't take your eyes off any of the games. And you just wish baseball was like that every day. But if it was, I would be completely out of breath every day because I was totally exhausted by the end of the day. And I didn't even care who won. But it was just so great to see, oh, look what's happening in Seattle. Oh, look what happened in Yankee Stadium. And you can't take your eyes off it. So that was that was as good a day of watching baseball that I've had in 10 years
1: I will say the the thing I think baseball gets very right on the last day of the season is have everyone start at the same time. I think that is smart and fun and makes it feel like important, you know, just that every every game is happening at the same time um, makes it gives it that extra like extra wildness. I think I like that.
2: And I love aspects of games where the fans like are watching the out of town scoreboard in real time as things happen, and and you know keep your eyes glued to that while also watching the game. And and when interesting things happen in the other games, you can really like feel like a a buzz, a murmur, whatever happening in in the game uh, at hand. So I think that's an interesting part. And I think they also they do that because they don't want some team to have some kind of informational advantage over another one by knowing like what they have to do or. Don't have to do or whatever, and I think that's great too because, like, if you knew that uh, you know the teams you were going up against that you needed to lose lost, you would just tank the game, like you wouldn't care. So the Yankees and the Red Sox had to like really play to win, uh, not knowing what happened in those other games, and I like that.
0: Well, it's interesting because they talk about that in that in that video on the uh, 2011 season because the the Red Sox were sitting there looking at the score and the Yankees were up seven nothing so i think if the Mm. rays lost they were they were pretty safe so they were kind of while they were not you know blowing away the orioles they were kind of at least getting comfort in that which and then they went into a rain delay i I believe and just then completely backfired when the the rays mounted this huge comeback with longoria and all that so you know it it you can get uh, sort of false hopes sometimes, but that usually a seven seven zero lead is pretty safe. So that was fairly dramatic. <laughs> Too bad I don't remember it at all. I'm just, you know, had to read about it. If you had put a gun to my head, I couldn't have told you what happened on that day. But uh, I'm turned into a sports goldfish over here. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> a little research and it all comes back. I'm like, oh, yeah, Dan Johnson. <laughs> Forgot about that guy.
1: Definitely a person who played baseball. Um, all right, well let's let's talk about these wildcard card match- matchups. Neil, what does our model think about think about Yankees versus Red Sox? They never play. What's what's that rivalry all about? Yeah, I
2: know it's uh, it's it's certainly not a matchup that the TV networks are excited to to air. Um, but no, it's it's very tight uh, right now. We have it as the Yankees fifty three percent and the Red Sox forty seven percent. Uh, obviously, the Yankees sending Garrett Cole to the mound uh, in that one against Nate Evaldi. So I am really excited about it, and I think that it's kind of the culmination of this has been a kind of a good year for that rivalry. They've they've sort of gone back and forth. The the Red Sox seem to kind of own it early, and then the Yankees uh, have been all over the place this season. And so we'll kind of see. And and there are stakes in this. Uh, obviously, there's the the wildcard stakes, but the big picture stakes in our model, at least, is the fact that, rightly or wrongly, we think the Yankees are pretty good and and uh, better than the Red Sox, but also in sort of the conversation uh, of of AL pennant contenders uh, and. If they won won this game, their odds of making the World Series and even winning the World Series would go up dramatically and really reach maybe not like a front-runner stratosphere, and we'll talk about the front-runners in a second, but they would be right in there with teams like... You know the next year, the Astros, the Braves and and the White Sox and teams like that.
0: It is interesting just if you look at where each franchise is, it, it, there's so much more pressure it seems on the Yankees, just considering how they've just I mean I guess they're kind of always in a state of going all in um, but 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 this is a team that's built to win this year, whereas the Red Sox you know coming into this year and were they even picked in our pool? I don't even remember. they were um, in the
1: redraft. So not initially. yeah, in no. the
0: redraft, but yeah, and for good reason. So I think you know the long view is that they're a little bit ahead of schedule, maybe a lot ahead of schedule if they if they win this game, and certainly the sense that they're playing with the house's money. Um, I think that's even more true in the NL if you look at the where the those two teams are. Considering you know the Cardinals were below 500 at the beginning of August, and the. Dodgers are, the, you know, the team, um, still the World Series favorites, despite having to play uh, a one game playoff, which is, is kind of shocking. Uh, but talk about nothing to lose and everything to lose.
1: Well, right. And so that that the that, that NL wild card matchup is sort of we're in this place where the Dodgers are our, our favorite to win the World Series, but they have to win this one game first, which is. Which is wild. And they're favored, right, Neil? I mean, they're obviously going to be favored over the Cardinals. But, is, I mean, yeah. Does In one game, as we know, anything can happen. In one game is not enough information to figure out who the better team is, right?
2: Yeah. It's, uh, so we've got it at Dodgers at 70% to win. But, obviously, the Cardinals are sending Adam Wainwright to the hill. And, like you said, anything can really happen. So the, the idea, I think this is... This is a good and bad thing about the wild card situation in baseball because it does introduce this extra stakes, this extra drama, uh, and and also gives another team a shot. Like the Cardinals, they were dead to rights f- in, like a month ago, and now they're in a position where they can kind of pull off this upset, and it, it would be really remarkable. Um, but at the same time, you look at the Dodgers. They won 106 games in the season, uh, which – was second only to the Giants who won 107. Those are both historic type of seasons. This is the defending world champions with LA uh and and they're on this run that's really one of the best in baseball history. Uh and if it weren't for the Giants, we'd be talking about the Dodgers having, you know, this historic amazing season and there's a 30% chance that they will be out of the playoffs after just one game. That is really, you want to talk about just all or nothing, that's where we're at. Uh, and uh, really, if they do win that game, all of a sudden, they would have a 50% chance to make the World Series and a 36% chance to win the championships, which would be, would be well ahead of everyone else in the field. Uh, they're already the favorites, like you mentioned. So it is like this absolute, like, uh, just... The the outcome of this one game is going to have such seismic effects on the rest of the playoffs, just instantaneously. It's it's kind of incredible.
1: Look, I hate the yeah the, the, the wild card the, game. I hate it. This is not new information. I was
0: going to say no. I was going to say uh, they, they need to change the playoff format. I, I, I'm not even a Dodger fan, but this is this is ridiculous. And this will happen again that you have two the two best teams in baseball in the same division. That, we've seen that happen countless times, and that happens in the NFL all the time. And, like, you, you expand the playoffs or do whatever you got to do, but, like, make don't you can't. I, I frankly like that they put, uh, you know, a lot of emphasis on winning the division. I think, you know, I think that's a good thing, but I think at the same time that this sort of last team out, you know, maybe find a way to, to get that team automatically into the sort of next round rather than doing the one game playoff.
1: Well, re- reseed. I mean, reseed it so that it's by record. Like, what are we? You know, this idea of you know, in in some years people will say, well, if a team teams just need to win their division and then they won't be facing this game. Okay, they won 106 games. Like, I don't know. They really couldn't do much more. That um, they were just up against a historically better team. Like that. This is just I don't know. Again, one game playoffs are antithetical to baseball put them in that having them as a game 163 like we almost had this year that's fine that's great that's just an extension of the regular season a playoff round of one game is wrong and and if we lose out on you know I want to see the Dodgers and the Giants in in the NLDS um, because those I want to see that matchup I would rather see it in the NLCS But, you know, okay. but but we might we could very easily not have the Dodgers move on. And that's just that just seems wrong for baseball.
2: Yeah, it's interesting about how. So you said game one sixty three would be fine because it's an extension of the regular season. But this isn't that this is basically the same exact thing as a game one sixty three. The only difference is that in those game one sixty three type play in games, tiebreakers, they are tiebreakers. They are between two teams that have the same record where or you know uh, they, they tied in the standings. Whereas in this particular case, you have a team that won 16 more games during the regular season than the uh, the other one, and all it takes to basically erase that 16 game differential from the regular season is just one win for the Cardinals.
0: You could do three the three division winners you know it's a little tricky because NFL four divisions versus three divisions, but you could do the three division winners and the top wild card get a buy. I mean not a buy, but get an automatic. I guess a buy, yeah, to the to past uh, the one game playoff and then add another wild card, so you have three wild cards for each uh, league. I wouldn't be against that. I mean I think last year, if it, you know, last year was such a weird year, but. I don't think people were objecting to this expanded MLB playoffs. I think they were fun. Um, I, I'm not saying we we do that again, but I, I think there there was something exciting about having you know at least all those contenders. I mean, it. I think you can do that and still put the emphasis on the regular season. And also, by the way, if you're incentivizing, you know, look at the NFL where you have teams that are doing well that maybe have locked the playoffs but are still pushing towards the end because they want that extra. By round, that makes the last couple of weeks of baseball more exciting when some of these teams have clinched for two weeks and are just kind of playing out the string and waiting for a uh waiting for the playoffs. And also, in in some cases, you know, because you're playing your division rivals in the last weekend and last couple series, like, you have a team. I mean, I think the Rays were doing everything in their power to beat the Yankees. That was a little bit of an exception. But there could have been a version of the Rays where they don't care and they're, you know, barely playing the starters the final weekend. Yeah,
1: I did like that, that they had to, like, that the Yankees had to play a rival instead of just, like, a... You know, still a good team, but a good team that was coasting a little bit. They had to play a team that did not like them and wanted to beat them. And I think that's fun. (laughs) All right. Well, we can obviously talk about this forever, but, but for now, let's take a break. And we'll be back in a moment to talk about college football. The college football season continues to be just absolutely wild. While Alabama and Georgia put doubts to rest in week five with victories over Mississippi and Arkansas, number three Oregon was stunned by Stanford in the biggest upset of the week. Close behind in terms of big deal games, although not technically an upset, was Cincinnati beating Notre Dame. On the ESPN College Football Podcast, Paul Feinbaum talked about where the playoff picture stands now
2: yeah uh, you know, we we have two powerhouses in college football and everyone else, and I think anyone who starts saying this team or that team other than Alabama and Georgia looks set is, is crazy because they're they're really you know the only team that we think will probably be undefeated right now is cincinnati and, and that's a that's a ten hour conversation about whether they belong or not
1: we're not going to take ten hours, but I do want to dive a little deeply into Cincinnati. Neil, what kind of chance do the Bearcats have to make the playoffs according to our model?
2: We give them a 22% chance, which maybe feels a little on the low side because that's still a sixth right now. Uh, So Georgia and Alabama are kind of in a class of their own, 64% and 62% to make the playoff. And then you have this next tier that has Oklahoma at 39, Iowa, your favorite, Sarah, at 30, uh, and then Ohio State at 23, and then finally Cincinnati at 22. However, Cincinnati does have the highest odds of winning out over the rest of their games. Of any of those teams that I just mentioned at 29%, and so if that happens, we still don't think they're a lock. They would win the American, uh, but we would give them a 62% chance to make the playoffs if they win uh, the rest of their games. That's not terrible, um, uh, but that, but that's not the same as say you know if Georgia wins out, for instance, they would be practically a lock to make the playoffs. Let's just assume that, um, and the same goes for Alabama and some of these other contenders. So they're sort of in that crowded next tier of, of teams that have a chance. Uh, And I do think that, yeah, we didn't, I think we talked about them very briefly when we were talking about Notre Dame last week and just mainly pointing out the fact that despite being higher ranked than Notre Dame, they had a lower percent chance of making the playoff. And that that sort of was part of how our model views a team like Notre Dame versus a team uh, like Cincinnati and how, conference championships way into things because again they are a team that's not in one of these prestige conferences but this might be one of the best chances for that type of team to crack it that we've seen in the in the playoff era
3: well
1: and the, their schedule you know they do have they have a good chance to win out their schedule they have temple next then ucf at navy at tulane Wolf at home against Tulsa Oof. at South Florida. The probably really the only interesting game there is SMU. Yeah.
0: Um Yeah, I mean it they're not you know the one thing that I think, you know, first of all, I am high on this Cincinnati team. I, I I think uh even going into the season they they look like a a potential playoff team and I think like from a roster standpoint, they have the talent really to compete. Uh you look at their their pass defense alone, I mean, it, they might have the two best cornerbacks in college football. I mean, they have NFL cornerbacks, and and, and they, they really are a very talented team. But I do think their schedule, you know, in the difference I would say compared to like the 2017 UCF team or, or the 2016 Western Michigan team, these other ones that sort of made a, uh, at least a case for the playoffs in, in their minds, even though I don't think any of us seriously ever thought that was um, – Going to happen was that the difference is like those teams, they're on a conference early games were nothing spe- special. I mean, you look at UCF that year, they played at Maryland, which was a bad Maryland team, they played Florida International. Uh, their their Georgia Tech game got cancelled I forget what happened there uh, was it weather related yeah that so the, the, that was out of their control but but this team went out and you know they put at Notre Dame on the schedule and and they had Indiana and Indiana at least based on last year uh, was, was a pretty dangerous team so they put they had tough games on their schedule and, and they got it done but now, You know, I'll be interested to see what happens because, you know, for instance, they play UCF. UCF looks bad. So that win won't be as, um, you know, respected as it would be in previous years. UCF just lost to to Navy, and um, Notre Dame. I don't think this Notre Dame team is that good. I think it's possible they lose a couple more games, and maybe by the end of the year, and Indiana doesn't look that good. Uh, it, it, what they thought they had on paper, you know, might not matriculate uh, based on you know things that are out of their control. Um, that being said, I think if they go undefeated, they're in. But I think if they lose one game, they're definitely out.
2: Well, that's why I think there's there might be no bigger Notre Dame fans over the rest of the season than Cincinnati because they need that win to look. Uh, really impressive. Um, And so, you know, Notre Dame has some some interesting games left on their schedule, not necessarily uh, ranked teams remaining. But I mean, the game at Stanford uh, and the last game of the regular season could be uh, a situation where maybe Notre Dame boosts itself a little. I don't know. And they have Georgia Tech on there, which is a guaranteed win. Uh, in South Bend, by the way, Georgia Tech looks good, Neil. You know, we've looked all over the place. I think, I think we've uh, we've got some defensive problems, but I've seen promise. I'm I'm happy with the with the trajectory of the team. And Sarah has been ahead of the curve on this. But we don't need to talk about Georgia Tech. <laughs> no, I mean, we come on.
1: no, we <laughs>
0: don't. No, we don't. No reason
2: don't. for this.
1: But uh, so so Cincinnati. I mean, is this the year? Will the committee pull the trigger, or will they take? You know, if if Iowa. Or Oklahoma, or or both, say, are undefeated, and then you've got Georgia and Alabama, which one of them will have lost to the other, right? Will they just take those four and still leave out Cincinnati?
0: I think they will, because things seem to be breaking in their way already. Because what you have going on in the ACC, where it doesn't look like... There's any, I mean, maybe wake uh, if they run the table, but there doesn't seem to be, I don't think a lot of people think that's going to happen. There doesn't seem to be a clear candidate from the ACC, so that helps. What they kind of need to do, and the Pac-12 is doing what they always do, and we saw it this weekend, which is cannibalizing each other, and and, and that's going to help. Especially if Oregon loses another game, then I think maybe there could be another team emerge from the Pac-12. I don't know, like an Arizona State or something. But they need some of these Big Ten teams to lose because it sort of looks like the Big Ten could be in a situation where you know you have. Two legitimate candidates, and that would hurt their chances. I don't know if they would take two Big Ten teams and two SEC teams. That seems weird. So I think they'll they'll probably need they'll need Oklahoma. They'll need the kind of the Big Twelve to kind of get out of the picture, and Oklahoma to get some losses. But that could happen. That could happen in two weeks. Playing Texas. Texas looks a lot better. We were really down on them earlier, and all of a sudden they they look like a kind of scary team. So that could easily happen. And Oklahoma hasn't looked great. So they still need some more to go their way. But if they run the table and and, and the, what usually happens in college football happens in the, in the final few weeks, then I, I think they'll I think they'll make it.
2: Yeah, I don't hate the way things are shaping up. I think you're right that it does seem like they need some help, which is probably where that 62 percent um, comes from. Like it's not just enough to run the table. Um, but – Ideally, they would need to have one, either Georgia or Alabama to hang a loss uh, before the SEC championship game and create some doubt. And even then, we've seen this in the past, that's not enough to guarantee that uh, uh, the team that lost the game won't still be put into the playoff if it's Alabama. Um, but, uh, you know, they're going to take an SEC team no matter what it seems like they're going to put in a big 12 team. It's uh, well, they're going to put in a big 10 team, no matter what I think. And and there's a lot of potential candidates for that uh, probably more so this year than uh, years that I can remember recently, at least. And so, yeah, I think you're right. They need Oklahoma to lose. Oklahoma's got Oklahoma state coming up uh, too. I mean, that is not an easy game for them. Uh, So they really need these like big 12 teams to kind of take themselves out. And they need one of the sec. Like, I don't, think you can really do it if you've got both Georgia and Alabama in there, uh, and, and you got the the SEC double, which we've seen happen before, and then a Big Ten team, and then, you know, where's that other spot coming from? Uh, you, you do need the Big 12 to drop out of that, and then um, not— uh, Obviously, Cincinnati still needs to win the rest of their games, too, which we only give a 29% chance to. So there's a lot that needs to happen for this to, to really fall into place.
0: Georgia looks so good, and, and Alabama is Alabama. So I, I actually think those two teams are are, are both going to make it. I'd be very surprised if they didn't. So what you're looking at is like a Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, or maybe Penn State. And Cincinnati, and then that leaves out the ACC, the Big Twelve, and the Pac Twelve, which is possible. But you you need losses, and then it, it, the the two SEC, two Big Ten things, I guess, is possible too. But that actually feel like the 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 committee would be less likely to do that.
1: Yeah, I do, I do feel like that. If if Iowa beats Penn State this weekend, their schedule is just so much. Easier than the other Big Ten schools, they don't have a, a ranked opponent left. Then in the in the regular season, that it does feel like they kind of then control their own destiny. And well, whoever they face in the in the Big Ten championship game, then that you know that becomes probably the the clincher there. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's you know it helps that or- it helps Cincinnati's case is helped by Oregon losing because it feels like a loss to Stanford is sort of. Uh, that that's a that's a that's a bad loss for them, and that that would might be enough to keep them out of the the playoff. Given the what we think of the Pac twelve, what it looks like the Pac twelve is is right now. The ACC, I feel like it'd be tough to put Wake Forest in the in the playoff in the in this year. Now maybe if they run the table and they look really good, you know things can change. Obviously, but but taking out Oklahoma, if Oklahoma has one or especially two losses, then Cincinnati will feel a lot better.
2: Well, and that's built into the model to a certain extent. I mean, we don't have – to be clear, we don't have specific modifiers for specific teams or anything like that. But conferences, you know, in terms of power conference, those championships are just inherently worth more in terms of the prediction um, quality than winning the American. And that's something that Cincinnati is just up against, and, and that's been borne out. You know, it's it's not like we're – we're making that up or biased against the the, um, uh, the the non-Power 5 conferences. That's been shown to be the way the committee um, breaks things uh, each year. They always break things in favor of the Power 5.
1: No, for sure. And frankly, it's part of, part of why Cincinnati is leaving the American and going to the Big 12. I mean, you know. Really, they're they're doing that because Texas and Oklahoma left the Big Twelve, but like they wouldn't. Other things happen right. to the Big Twelve, right? But it, I mean, it's obviously better for them to be in a in a conference that, for the time being, anyway, is considered to be a, a a major conference. Now, who knows what it will be in the future? But I did want to talk for just a second about the the two teams that that Paul Feinbaum is sure of. Do you guys see any weaknesses to be exploited in Alabama or Georgia? Or are they just really not going to be tested until they face each other in the in the SEC championship, which I'm just assuming is going to happen.
0: I, I, I don't. I, I I might have said you know a couple weeks ago. I'm pretty sure I did. We we unfortunately don't have that clip ready. That Alabama was looking a little vulnerable this year. I don't think that anymore. Um, I think I might have said that coming off the Florida game where you know it was pretty close. They probably easily could have lost that game maybe even deserved to lose that game but um what they've done the last couple weeks they they seem to be back on track and and georgia i mean i I was high on that arkansas team and and that was just a bloodbath there's style points there
2: (laughs) yeah and that was one where people were like "Ooh." Arkansas might have the potential to play spoiler. Yeah. Well, you know, that that makes me feel better, though, because we we did kind of trash Arkansas, their recent history of that program uh, in one of our rabbit holes. So I was sort of like, OK, finally they lose. Uh, so we don't have to have that hanging over us. Uh, but no, I, I, I don't see that many weaknesses. I mean, I guess if you were trying to pick out something, Georgia right now ranks 45th in uh, ESPN's Football Power Index for special teams. Uh, and, and maybe that's just because um, Jack Podlesny has missed a couple kicks or something. I don't know where that necessarily came from, uh, per se. But aside from that, I mean, we're really kind of scraping around trying to find. And, and, and really, they now have two quarterbacks who uh, strike fear into the hearts of opponents. I, I think one of the reasons why people were... Um, thinking that maybe Arkansas could pull the upset was just because JT Daniels has been hurt uh, and, and they didn't fully trust Stetson Bennett. And now it's like, oh, yeah, Stetson Bennett has better numbers than JT Daniels this year. So I don't know. I, I don't know what you do with that.
0: I mean, they don't even really need to throw the ball. I mean, like it, yeah, they don't it, even need to throw, throw it. Throw, throw in's kind <laughs> of a luxury, of anyway. which is the way that Georgia teams often built. I mean, it was certainly built that way. You know, a couple of years ago when they had um, Chubb and, and Sonny Michelle and and you know just amazing running backs. Um, but, but I actually do think compared to previous Georgia teams, their quarterback talent is, is, is way higher than, you know, the no offense to Jake Fromm or, or any of those teams. But I I just think they, they can be more dynamic and stretch the field if they have to, but a lot of games they are not even going to need to,
1: they, uh, they looked, they looked pretty fierce. I think Alabama is interesting too, because yeah, that, the, the Florida game was like, Oh, are they, uh, are they not quite as good? But I think we're still we're comparing them to pre, to like last year's Alabama team, and you know maybe they're not quite as good as last year's Alabama team. They're still better than basically anyone they will face until Georgia. That game is. We were be pretty amazing.
0: high on that I mean, Ole Miss, you know.
1: and and maybe that was
0: the problem. Is that Ole Miss is just <laughs> not the team we thought, and maybe Arkansas is not the team we thought. And but Alabama, you know, to jump out to a thirty-five nothing lead on that team and and to basically keep them. Off the, that offense, off the scoreboard for you know the first two quarters plus was was really impressive. Um, I think their defense, you know, their defense has sort of been a little bit overshadowed the last few years by uh, what they've done on the offensive side. But remember this, Alabama. The, Earlier incarnations of Alabama was this kind of team, this team that could smother you defensively and, and get enough points to Yeah, win. the
1: outlier was... The like high offense, like high octane offense, Alabama. That was the outlier.
2: <laughs> well, and that's funny because Lane Kiffin was sort of responsible for that in some way, shape or form. And then now he comes into this game uh, and sort of is like, get your popcorn ready or whatever. And then it's like, no, they uh, just got outclassed completely. I think Lane Kiffin would be the first one to tell you that he was sort of uh, he, he put the cart ahead of the horse on that. Well, one. people
1: never learn to stop uh the tr- that kind of trash talk like troll another team but when you're like setting yourself up if you don't like live up to it it'll be really it'll look really bad just don't do that you don't need to say get your popcorn ready
0: well Desmond Ritter gave Notre Dame a lot of bullet uh, uh, bulletin board material and, and he lived up to it um saying he'd quiet the crowd correctly so respect to that guy
1: yeah if you can follow through if you can <laughs> then you know more power to you but Boy, that's a, it's a dangerous, a dangerous line to walk. All right. Well, I think we can wrap this up here for now. Let's take a break and we'll be back in a moment for our rabbit hole of the week. At 538, we often find ourselves falling down various rabbit holes of data. Some lead to stories, some don't. We end each week's show with one of those descents, the hot takedown rabbit hole of the week. We are delighted to be joined by our wonderful colleague, Santul Nurker, who has this week's rabbit hole. How's it going, Santul?
3: I'm doing great. Happy baseball season.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Post-season. I know, now it's Post-season. like, it's it's now it's real, right? Now it counts. Um, yeah, well, what do you have for us today?
3: Uh, so as you all may know, our reader recently wondered whether Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and his father, Vladimir Guerrero, were the best father-son duo in baseball history. The answer to that is no, and it's pretty unlikely that they ever will be. According to BaseballReference.com, Vlad Jr. and Vlad Sr. have combined for a total of 68.9 wins above replacement. That puts them 11th on the list of father-son duos among all position players, or 1517 behind the duo of Barry and Bobby Bonds. In other words, (laughs) Vlad Jr. (laughs) So,
1: a lot, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, A lot. Uh,
3: Basically, uh, the equivalent of a Hank Aaron career on top of what he's already accomplished would get to Bobby and Barry's, uh, Barry's total, because uh, Vladimir only has 9.4 career uh, wins, uh, wins above replacement. Uh, and I didn't know this, actually, before doing this research, but Reggie Jackson is considered a cousin of uh, Barry Bonds, uh, according to BaseballReference.com. So if you add Reggie Jackson's uh, career 73.9 wins above replacement, that gives their entire clan nearly 300 uh, wins above replacement. Um, and unfortunately for the Guerreros, their wins above replacement goes down when you add in two more of their relatives, uh, Gabrielle and Wilton Guerrero combined for a negative 1.9 wins above replacement in their careers.
1: (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Do you get to just choose who you want to include in your family war or do you just have
3: to include everybody?
2: They've been, uh, they, yeah, they, they, they've been written out of the will.
3: See I, I was wondering about this. So for family where I think I, I was just going by what Baseball Reference had, but I mean Reggie Jackson is a distant relative. like he's like a some like a cousin removed or something of Barry Bonds. So I don't really know if that same standard is being applied to uh all relatives of all players uh on this yeah, list. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: That is funny. I, you know, can't you can't you include, you know, uh, Barry Bonds Godfather? Let's throw Willie Mays in there and and get boost up the war.
2: <laughs> yes. Why not? Why not?
3: <laughs> no, that, that's a great point. Um, for some reason, yeah. I mean, you could argue that Barry Bonds was closer to Willie Mays than he was to Reggie Jackson. So. I, I, I'm i not exactly sure uh, what's going on there.
2: Yeah, if you say that one of the family members shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame, your war should not be allowed to count toward that family uh, total, I think.
3: I think that's fair. <laughs> yes. And well, there's some other uh, funny nuggets going on, which is that Carl um, Yastrzemski has the most wins above rebo- uh, replacement for any position player with a grandson. Uh, as you know, his grandson Mike is an outfielder for the Giants, who has seven point eight career wins above replacement.
2: With a grandson that played Major League Baseball, to be clear.
3: True, of course. A, a grand a grandson <laughs> matters for the. For he's purposes. he's the <laughs> al-
2: you know fun fact. He's the only Major League player ever to have a uh, a grandson.
3: There you have it. I mean, uh, I think Barry Bonds
2: and uh, Bobby
3: Bonds have the. Uh, I, I, it's it's very unlikely to me that any. Uh, any father-son duo will ever usurp their totals.
1: Yeah, they really, they really set the standard for um, for family members playing. I mean, the Griffies are up there, right?
3: They are a combined one eighteen, um, but that's still way, way behind. I mean, again, Barry Bonds is by himself, like you know, more than like most family duos. Uh, but yeah, the, the Griffies are about at one eighteen, so that's about about half of what they have. So uh, still very impressive uh, in their own right, but not nearly as much.
2: Yeah. And Vlad Jr. I mean, he is not the only son of a major leaguer on his own team. Uh, which I think is kind of funny that uh, one of the other things that we were talking about when we were kind of slacking about this was the curious phenomenon of Beau Bichette and Dante Bichette, uh, in which case if you compare the two of them, the uh, you know like you mentioned. Uh, in the case of Vlad Jr he's far behind Vlad senior which you would expect because he's just starting his career but actually Bobochet has more career wins above replacement than his dad ha- had in 14 seasons he already is and and not by some small amount he almost has twice as much uh, already as Dante had uh, so Dante maybe this is you know a statement on wins above replacement maybe it's a statement on course field maybe it's a statement on Dante Bichette's statistics not necessarily uh, capturing his contribution to winning. But I thought that that was pretty funny that you have a guy that has almost 300 career home runs uh, and he only has uh, 5.6 career war and his son already has 9.4, including six this year. He actually had more war this year alone than his dad had in his entire MLB career. <laughs>
1: there, we, are, we, we are in this like... um. You know, there's a ton of of sons of of major leaguers in the game right now. Where does like um Kevin Biggio? Where does he rank in in terms of war with his father? We should we should see we that there should be like a we could do a fun like ticker of like when the son eclipses the father in war if it ever happens, um or if it happens right away.
3: My favorite was definitely the families where like this is like most cases actually where they're the one player had like, you know, 60-70 war or whatever. And then the family war would be like a little bit less because whoever had like a cup of coffee or like negative .5 or negative .8. It's just like man, that, that's got to be demoralizing that you, you provide less value than not having a kid for a baseball uh from a baseball perspective. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, ouch. Yeah. Yeah, what other what other family type situations were like that? I mean, there've been a lot of it does feel like there have been brothers who, like, oh yeah, he has a brother who plays and then doesn't really play anymore. Are there, did you find other funny situations like that?
3: My favorite might have been Robin Young, um, of Brewers lore. Uh, he had a brother, Larry, who played one big league game in which he didn't even face a batter because he injured himself while warming up. Um, <laughs> oh, that's so sad. <laughs> As, as far as we know, he's the only pitcher in Major League history to appear in the record books without actually facing a batter. So one game, zero war, zero innings pitched, uh, but he appears as, pit- as a pitcher, so that
2: that's pretty rough. In that sense, though, he could say he is more historically notable than Robin, though, because, I mean, even though the Hall of Fame is a pretty exclusive club, he's in a club of that's, one.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. I, I wonder, you know in a situation like that where you know you didn't get to realize your dream really completely but you kind of did and like you might have been really bad like zero war zero war is you know it's better than negative 0.4 for a career like fat Mahomes. so maybe that's an okay you know it was close you got you got there it was close I don't know. Maybe that's all right. Maybe he regrets it forever.
2: I also like when you are one of those brother tandems, um, I think about Wayne and Brent Gretzky in hockey, where you can say that you're like, oh, yeah, we're the highest scoring uh, brothers in NHL history. And it's like we don't have to talk about the fact that it's being carried by like I had four points and my brother had uh, 1,000. No, he had 2,857. We don't have to talk about that. (laughs)
1: right i i like the antitecumpos in uh in the nba who have who have three uh nba titles you know between them you know the Giannis and and (laughs) the nasa's each one you know with the with the the bucks um but their other brother won with the lakers so you know they've they're a, a high performing team
3: the real question is like do you want to be like that far apart because no, you know everybody knows that like Giannis and Thanasis are not on the same level, but Seth Curry is at least like a good NBA player and is like an excellent shooter. I think he still has a better career three-point percentage than his brother, but it's like it's like just close enough to remind yourself, you know, you in a big playoff game. Oh, that's not that's not Steph, that's Seth. So maybe he's too good for his own good. I don't know.
2: Yeah, would we, well would we think of Seth like? uh Say, we didn't know that he was related to Steph. Would we have a higher or lower opinion of him just based on his own stats, taking out the familial aspect? I think it's a good question. I don't know. Probably high. I don't know, though. I mean, because there is that aspect of, like, I think knowing that Steph is so good, you would expect, oh, well, there's no way, you know, his his brother is going to be anything but a scrub. So then you kind of look at Seth and you're like, oh, he's actually pretty good. And you sort of have that, like, he's exceeding my expectations because he's not just another kind of... uh, what was Robin Yount's brother's name? I forgot. Larry. Forgotten. Larry, Larry. Larry. He's not a Larry. He's not a Larry Yount. Larry Yount is, of course, he's going to be named Larry Yount. That's the most. My brother did nothing. <laughs> my brother uh, Larry, the major league's yeah. name ever. <laughs>
1: That's amazing. Um I love the the family things are so fun uh they're always fun to talk about and an interesting an interesting rabbit hole to go down so thank you, Sinul, and thanks to noah Nesssem, the listener who asked us about about vlad senior and Juniors war. Um, that was so fun thanks for joining us thank you alright well that will do it for this week's show we'll be back in your feed next Tuesday if you like what you heard please subscribe and if you are subscribed please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts it helps new people discover the show you can also email us at podcast at 538.com to let us know what you think our podcast producer is Sarah Shackett Tony Chow is in the virtual control room and our podcast commissioner is Chad Matlin. for Neil, Jeff, and Santuel, I'm Sarah thanks for listening I'll talk to you next time